For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. This is the place to be for all of your latest, best information about medical cannabis from the experts themselves, whether they're physicians or researchers, cultivators or creators in this space. I am bringing you their wisdom, their knowledge week after week so that you, my wonderful listeners, can keep educating yourselves about this fantastic, almost miraculous plant. And if you haven't taken the time already, please go over to Apple or Stitcher and take just a moment and give us a review. Let me know what you think of the show, how we're doing, or just send me an email, matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can, and I love to hear from you. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think of the guests. If there's other people that you'd like to hear me interview, shoot me a message, let me know, and I can keep bringing you these amazing guests week after week, just like today's guest, Christina D'Arcangelo. She is a veteran to the show. This is her second time on the show, and I just can't get enough of these conversations with her. She's fun. She's brilliant, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy this one, and there's probably going to be at least another one, maybe more down the road with Christina. So without further ado, enjoy this latest interview with Christina D'Arcangelo. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest, I am happy to welcome back Christina D'Arcangelo. And just as a reminder, if you don't remember, Christina has over 20 years of experience in the biotech and pharmaceutical industries. She is the CEO and founder of the clinical research organization Affinity Biopartners, the CEO and board president of Affinity Patient Advocacy, and the CEO and co-founder of AI Health Outcomes. So we'll dive into that a little bit. We'll touch upon the Cannabot again, because I feel like that's definitely important to talk about a little more. Christina is also a board member of the American Society of Cannabis Medicine. 
And she was selected to the top 100 registry for business leaders and professionals and recognized as a woman of excellence by Strathmore's Who's Who Worldwide for her outstanding contributions and achievements in the fields of clinical research, biotechnology, and pharmaceuticals. Christina, I am thrilled to have you back on the show. As I was just telling you, you're one of the most listened to and favorite episodes of the show. So it's great to have you back and go for it round two. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Matthew. I was so happy when you reached out to me and asked me to join again because I had so much fun talking to you the first time. And I'm thrilled that I was like one of the top listened to podcasts because that means that my message is important and people find it interesting, which is important, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, your message, your information, but also your personality is it's really draws people in. And so, yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're too kind. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So I wanted to start sort of where we left off. And if uh, you don't remember, if you didn't listen to the first episode, I definitely recommend checking out the first one. But we touched on a little situation that you were having with your son in school. And I know schools have shut down, so that's probably not as much of an issue anymore. But being able to have the CBD for your son. So I just want to see, like, how is the CBD still working for him? What's it like getting his medicine on a regular basis? And, and how did the fight go with the school? Yeah, so you're right. The fight stopped because he had to stop going to school uh, face-to-face with all the other students. Plus, our school district kicked out um, probably two weeks ago that they will be online learning. Um, which I know a lot of people are enraged about. And I obviously can see the pros and cons because I had to do the online learning already this year. (laughs) It's hard to believe it's happening again this year (laughs) as we start the next school year. But, you know, working on COVID studies, I understand COVID pretty well. You know, I understand how the virus replicates. I understand how it attacks the body, what it does. I understand that it doesn't have to be somebody who's elderly, it could be anybody that could get COVID. There's, you know, there's no discriminating factor as it relates to age, as we're all now seeing, which is what we already have believed five months ago when we got into this. So Krish luckily has been learning from home and I've been dosing him with his CBD isolate every day. He only has to take it twice a day, luckily. Um, But I have noticed, Matthew, with everything that's changed, for him, meaning he can't go to school, you know, face to face. He's back at that again. We bought him a book bag and he can't even use it to go to school now because he's not putting books in it, you know, so we'll have to use it when he goes and sees his auntie because that's another thing. We can't see a lot of people because of COVID, right? So we have all this stuff going on (laughs) and I've noticed and he can't play sports, right? Because I, I, I can't in good faith allow him to play baseball because he belongs to a private baseball league that's not school related, but I know too much about COVID and I'm, I'm concerned, you know, as a parent and a clinical researcher. So he hasn't been able to do that. He can't go swimming, right? Because everything is, so everything's upside down for this little boy and all the little kids. It's not just my kid. So I've noticed his anxiety level has increased because it's not the same. He's a kid of stability. Like he likes things a certain way. You know, every day he does certain things like because that's how I'm raising him to have, you know, this stability and 
life skills that are necessary to live once he leaves my house, whatever that is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So it's been interesting to see how mental health has impacted him. And he's only seven and a half, you know, and I'm a patient, as you know, and I've, I've noticed like, you know, this extra stress because I'm working on all these COVID studies and all this stuff. I've noticed myself, there were times I was having problems, Matthew, sleeping, especially with the unrest that was going on outside with all the protesting and because I'm right outside of Philadelphia. So that was, and I have a biracial son too. So it's just been really hectic, I guess. It hasn't been a walk in the park, (laughs) to, to say the least. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And so... I know that the the CBD isolate was necessary for school and things like that. But you know, since we spoke, I've been able to interview a, like a dozen or so other physicians. And across the board, they all agree that full spectrum has far more efficacy than the isolates. And so I was wondering, since you have them home, would you think about doing the you know, below 0.3% right. threshold of right. THC for him to, so he can get all the other beneficial phytocannabinoids? Here's the thing I worry about is that if he's ever tested, his blood test is ever tested and he pops up with THC, um, even though it would be in the normal limits of hemp 0.03% or less, I still get nervous because it's still even working on the side, you know, doing clinical research and also advocating for patients through affinity patient advocacy. I still get nervous for him. Plus, um, I, I'm a single mom now, so I have to think a little differently um, because I'm his prime. I've always been his primary caregiver, but now on court record, I am. And it makes me a little nervous that, you know, you never know what could happen. You know what I'm saying? And now I'm being scrutinized because he happens to have within the legal normal limits THC in a system. Yeah. Yeah. So is this something that decriminalization on a federal level, would that change or would it still be highly scrutinized because he's a minor? What do you think? Well, you know, I could get around this. I could get him a card in Pennsylvania. Luckily, I live in a state where that's allowed, right? Because I have a card and I could get him a card. I could become his caregiver under the program. I obviously know what to give him (laughs) and how to treat him. And we work with Dr. Donner, even for Christian not taking THC. That's his physician of record as well. Um, Because I feel it's important that he has a physician working alongside his general practitioner, which happens to be Penn. He goes to, you know, Penn Med for kids. Um, I think that if it did become legalized as a medical treatment, it would be so much easier for parents. The schools can't give you a hard time anymore. You know, it would open up all these doors. And then if there's custody issues, and I'm not saying there are custody issues with my situation, but there can be with other people. Not everybody has a walk in the park when this stuff happens. And it's hard to manage, you know, because you're trying to treat your child because your child needs this. Uh, and and then you're 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 opposing partner, I guess, co-parent, whatever, is saying no, 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 no. <laughs> so 
like, luckily I don't have that pushback because my ex-husband understands because he was with me during when I jumped into cannabis four years ago. So he knows what's going on and he knows our son. I would never give him something that would be inappropriate. Yeah. It's an important distinction for sure. Yes. I just yeah. didn't want people thinking that, you know, my ex-husband was kiboshing. Not at all. Not, not at all. He didn't. I just, you know, there's, there's people outside of my husband and I, you know, there's family members, people that, you know what I'm saying? And you know what people think it's all about that stigma, which is what we're trying to push against with good clinical research and scientific data. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's so sad that this stigma still exists, even for something that would be completely below a psychotropic um, profile, you know, it's right. just at, at, at 0.3% THC, you're not going to feel anything, obviously. But, you're, but it's still enough to engage that ensemble effect that right. you really want to have by having all right. the cannabinoids. Right. What if somebody calls CYS yeah. and says, hey, scary we heard, you know, and it, it's not going to be my ex-husband that would do it. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm so careful, Matthew, about what I do and how I do it, because I don't want anything to jeopardize my son or myself from a legality standpoint. That's wise. Being that you do work in the cannabis space with research and all that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know what people assume, right? When you're in cannabis that you're, you know, a, a u- recreational user, all these things that it's the, the farthest thing from the truth. You know, like I believe in cannabis as a medicinal product. I don't believe in it as a recreational product. I didn't come into the space for the rec purpose. I came in for the medical purpose because we can actually treat people. You know, I just heard one of the patients we were helping with affinity patient advocacy. She was stage four cancer last October when she came to us. She's now in remission. Wow. And it's huge. Yeah, that's huge. You know, we thought she was going to die. I mean, honestly, because was she doing a traditional therapy with with chemo and everything and with the cannabis on top of it? Oh, wow. She started off with the chemo, was able to come off of chemo. Again, I didn't we did not recommend her coming off of chemo. All we did from the nonprofit side is we recommended products that she could take through our Pennsylvania program um, for her palliative care you know, because that's what it's approved for in Pennsylvania is for palliative support. That's where I focus. If you end up in remission, that's fantastic. But I won't tell people, even though I, I know, you know, the toxicity profile for chemo, I've worked on how many oncology drugs in my career. I'm not going to kibosh anybody who wants to continue to take traditional meds. But if I can help support you from a palliative standpoint, and in the meantime, somehow you end up in remission. Bravo. It worked. You know, yeah, that's but you're wild. one person. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want people to think that my message is, oh, drop your pharma products and start this. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I believe it's a mix. And eventually you can taper. But it depends on your condition. And I'm not a doctor. Right. <laughs> and I imagine there's not a great percentage of people that come off of palliative care. And that's the whole point of it, right? It's just exactly. sort of ushering you out. So that's exactly. really cool. Exactly. Really cool. And that's like one of the things that like with all the clinical research experience I've had over the years, and because I've done a lot of oncology work, 
palliative care is, and plus, you know, take care of my dad, which is the whole reason why I started the nonprofit. I constantly think about palliative care. So if we look at COVID and those patients and what happens after they no longer have COVID, but they really still do because it didn't go away. It's just sitting in the body dormant. A lot of the responses are palliative based responses that are equivalent to cancer, fatigue, muscle, all that stuff, right? It's the same for COVID. So it's easy for us. Like I've never worked on SARS in my career ever, but because I've had so much experience working in cancer and some of these other things, and I worked on flu mist for metamune in my career, I'm able to kind of pivot into this COVID scenario and try to think about how we can attack it from multiple avenues, from a treatment standpoint, a palliative care standpoint. Because for me, I worry about everything. I don't just worry about the treatment. I worry about palliative too, the damage that's being created because of COVID. Because even if the stuff I'm working on now gets the FDA says, okay, you could start treating patients and we help them. What about these millions of patients who already had COVID? We still have to fix their issues because now they have palliative issues, cardiovascular disease, all kinds of problems with their organs, pulmonary distress. We have to fix all of that now. So we can't think about this COVID stuff as, oh, we just need a vaccine or, oh, we just need a treatment. Yes, we do. But we have to fix these poor people, not to mention the mental health issues that they're suffering from. And the opiate increases again, Matthew. We're back to this again. Just when we made some headway with cannabis legalization in our 33 states throughout our country, we finally did something. Now we're back down again. Yeah. And so I'm also really concerned with preventative measures. And I feel like that's something that's not spoken about enough with with this COVID situation. Everyone's so focused on a vaccine and so focused on treatments. And there's been so many different studies that are starting to come to the surface around the preventative measures with cannabis and COVID. And and I don't know if you know much about the ACE2 receptor and if you could speak to that and what cannabis's role is there. Well, I won't get into the medical because, you know, I have to stay (laughs) within my lane, but I'm excited because I obviously I started a pep up because that's where I want to be is back in my cannabis research, you know, zone. Right now, I'm I'm splitting myself. Like I'm back on the traditional side right now because I had to. I had to put my army boots on, so to speak, and get back in there <laughs> because there's two um, FDA approved drugs that I'm working on in combination as a treatment for COVID. So, but the the interesting thing is that client is a cannabis client, and they want to be in cannabis R and D. And there's all these awesome things that we're working on that we're getting ready to tip off, but we can't because of COVID. All of the studies have stopped in multiple different indications, multiple pharma companies, including cannabis. So people need to understand this. If we do not fix this this COVID problem, we will never get back to any simple reality of normalcy. It's not gonna happen. You can't enroll studies in the middle of COVID. You can't. You had to slow, you had to stop 
I had to stop studies that I was working on when COVID happened because you can't bring them in. So the research that's being done right now in cannabis and cortisol reduction, I don't know if you've seen any of those yet, Matthew, cortisol reduction, lowering helps the spread of COVID. That's some of the research that's out there. Wait, wait, wait. So if you lower your cortisol levels, it helps to spread COVID? No, 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 not spread, not spread, not spread COVID. So it has the opposite effect because if your cortisol levels rise, you're, you're obviously in an undue stressful situation, right? Sure. Even, even, do you know that cortisol can also impact your uh, THC and CBD consumption? It will not work as well if your cortisol is too high. That's something I learned during this COVID stuff. I didn't know that. Just, well, because I know well, it has a lot to do with your autonomic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system going up with the cortisol happening. And cannabis has always been a really great way to bring that down, accentuate mm-hmm. the parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of you're telling me that they, they're missing each other at, at mm-hmm. the onset. Wow. It's a misfire. Yeah. You know, so this is this is one of the, one of my clients that's the traditional FDA study, even though they're cannabis, they're also working in cortisol. So I worked on a grant application in Pennsylvania for a cortisol COVID clinical study under the CARES Act because Pennsylvania has 10 mil to spend on research. Well, we're here in Pennsylvania. So we applied for this grant for a cortisol lowering clinical study where we're actually gonna pull blood, look at the cortisol levels. And if in fact the cortisol levels are out of whack, we have, we have a nutraceutical product for them that's not cannabis related, but at least what it'll do is it'll get them back on track. So this product will later aid the cannabis research, right? Because this same process will be followed for all of our patients that we work with, we're going to be checking that cortisol immediately. That's part of the inclusion exclusion. And we have the ability to check the endocannabinoid system DNA. This same client has these DNA kits that I can see what's going on with your endo. So are you short with CBG, CBN, CBD, CBDE, TH? What's your problem? And then we could curtail a treatment pro, you know, protocol just for that. So that's what I've been working on in the back of the scenes here, besides this COVID stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's some of the stuff that, you know, um, we've been working on with some of our similar friends at EM2P2 and all those guys. Um, we're all kind of working on this endeavor from a data perspective. Right, right. So before I want to, before we go into that too far, I just want to remark how fascinating it is around this cortisol stuff. So if that's the case, then that means that things like yoga and Tai Chi, which I've been teaching both of those for years and meditation and breathing exercises and things like that can all be really beneficial for you around COVID. Yes. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. Isn't it neat? I mean, I know just even for myself, I've done more mindful practices uh, because whoo, this has been stressful. I mean, this is the hardest I've worked probably in years on this stuff with COVID, you know, and now you know the secret stuff I've been working on in the back end, getting ready to launch, you know, all this stuff, um, just trying to get out this COVID. But I've been um, trying to be more mindful, like with meditation, 
I, I push myself to exercise even on bad fibro days. I'm exercising six days a week on my bike now because I know if I don't, I'm, I can't function. Like I can't, I, my mind is cloudy. I feel sick. I just walk. Yeah. Well, when you combine that, hold on a second. Like you combine all the stress of your work and what you're doing with all that. And then a son, so all of a sudden you're, you're a a stay at home mom, not, but Mm -hmm. not, but you can't be because you work so much. And so, and then you have to be teaching your kid too. So now you're a teacher. (laughs) And on top of all that, in the middle of all the Black Lives Matter situation, all of the protests going on, you're raising a biracial son. So I just have to stop for a second and really recognize all the stress that you have to be going through and honor you for what you're doing to take care of yourself through it because you have to. I I don't even think about this stuff, Matthew. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm just trying to I feel like I'm running a marathon all the time. That's why I'm just like, sometimes I'm so tired, you know, but that's another thing. Normally I would push myself even when I'm tired lately. I've been like, Nope. I, if I have to be in bed at nine, I tell my clients, look, we're, we don't call me at 10 o'clock at night tonight because I'm in bed. Like for real, I have to be, I, cause I need my rest. If I don't get my rest, I can't think. And then I feel like, terrible the next day just like terrible yeah yeah that's the case for everybody some people think that they can think on five six hours of sleep and you can't it's just it's scientifically proven any more than what eight or nine days in a row of that and your cognitive capacity is like basically two steps below being drunk so right right yeah not worth it no because you hallucinate yeah. <laughs> when you don't get enough sleep. I've been there. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I had Christian, he had to be fed every two hours because he was in the hospital when I first had him because he had bacodium. So he was in CHOP for 35 days. So they had him on a two-hour feeding schedule. So when he came home, he was on that two-hour feeding schedule. So I was up and I was working you know, because I had my CRO still, and I had a wellness spa at the same time. <laughs> so I started hallucinating because I was only getting three hours of sleep a night, four hours, you know, because I was up every two hours. So I know. <laughs> yeah, I imagine taking it easy is a kind of a new thing in your life. <laughs> right? It is. It kind of is. Like where I force myself, where I'm like, nope, it's, I'm not doing it. I have to stop. I have to stop. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. I mean, you're mm-hmm. CEO of a couple of different organizations, on the boards of other organizations, running your own clinics. It's amazing that you get to slow down at all. <laughs> so, good job. I try. Yeah. So, um, moving into some of that data collection that you were talking about, you want to focus on that for a minute and tell me what's going on there? Yeah. So, we're working on this really, really awesome big project right now where um, I mentioned we'll be working with one of our clients who also asked me to join their company as their chief clinical R&D officer. So I'll be heading up the clinical R&D side, not the preclinical research side. I always like to make sure I'm very particular about that because I am not a PhD scientist. (laughs) There's a difference between the two of us. (laughs) And so um, that same client with a lot of the things that they've been putting together in the past couple of years are now getting ready for prime time. And what I mean by that is massive clinical studies. So we will be working with 
physician groups that you already, some of them you already know, um, where we'll be running studies through the physician groups, but also we'll be working with other CBD companies that are trusted and valued to be able to run their clinical studies, but capturing all this data. That's the big deal. We'll be able to capture data from the DNA tests. I've already talked to a central lab. So in other words, when we send the patients to go get blood, it'll be like a clinical trial. There'll be a kit at the office for our stuff. The, the nurse will pull it off the shelf, pull the blood, put the blood in the kit, send it off. We get to see the data. So I'll be able to see pharmacokinetics, pharmodynamics. I'll be able to see how these products are working or not working. We'll be looking at those cortisol levels. We'll be looking at the DNA. We'll be looking at gut biome. See how this is all going to be. So when we have all this, I'll be able to mine this data and go, hey, did you notice? Because we're not going to know who the patients are. Everything is blind. Everything is HIPAA compliant, just like we do in clinical trials, like EDC, electronic data capture. Everything is blinded. But I will have all these transfer agreements from all these data companies that we're going to be working with to come into our centralized data capture system so I can see everything in one spot. And then that's when the magic happens because then I could see trends. Right now, you can't see trends. We don't know if CBD deposits in the liver or the kidney or the gut, right? Because, you know, that was part of the problem with GW, with their product. Their product was sitting in the kids' GI tracts. But GW Pharmaceuticals, who created Epidiolex, which is yep. the CBD pharmaceutical. Yep. Yeah. So what was happening was it was sitting in the GI tract. So it wasn't processing properly through. And the reason why I know that was happening was because the kids had a black stool. So when people have a black stool, it's one of two things. There's a GI issue or there's a, you have a bleed. You're bleeding internally. So they figured that out in their clinical trials, right? They did, which is great. Has anybody else done this? No. So we need to though, right? Because if we want this to be mainstream medicine and you want the FDA to go, that's off, this is a therapeutic, you know, whatever, then we got to do this stuff, guys. And you know what? That takes time and money. And everybody wants us to do all these things, right? Everybody wants this and that, but nobody wants to pay for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, but to have that much data, to have the ability to search through and see what's going on, the implications of that are so far reaching. They go, of course, be able to focus on the patient, but then that's, you step back and be able to tell the doctor, well, this is what this patient needs. And then from the, and doctor, the doctor can, can, can go- call the patients. Can call the patients and right. say, hey, we can help you out with this. Right. But, then, but then it also informs- the cultivators on right. which which strains in particular have these terpene and phytocannabinoid profiles. And so this is what's going to be most helpful for these different ailments. Yep. And, and yeah, and then the extractions, it, it works in the whole process. And then the labs know what to be looking for. Yes. And everybody who's involved. Their medicine. Yeah. Right now, there's no customization. And think about it as a patient, okay? I have a separate cannabis physician. Mine's Dr. Donner. And then I go to Penn also, right? So that's my GP, my general practitioner, and all those people that help me with my autoimmune stuff. Okay. These two people don't talk to each other. 
even though, unless I do that, I make them. That's why APA is so important, the nonprofit, because we we bring everybody together and we joined a team with the traditional healthcare people. Donna and I are in there in the trenches, helping them and making sure we're voicing what they need. But the reason why I can talk about this is because I'm one, right? And so Dr. Donner, if I wasn't me and didn't know what I know, as a normal person, I wouldn't send my medical records over to Donner every time I get my blood draw, right? Because I wouldn't think to do it. Because I would think that the systems talk to each other because they're doctors, because that's what the everybody thinks because they're regular people, right? They're patients. Why should they have to question this? They are sick people. Now when it comes to cannabis. Right. Yeah. So now... We're creating that system where our system, our data system will talk to the traditional EMR, the cannabis EMR, and then all those other data points will come into one location. So then Dr. Donner could get on the phone and say, hey, Christina, I noticed you haven't been sleeping very well lately because I've had my levels checked and they see my cortisol is high or, or whatever's wrong, right? He could then say, okay, I think we need to do X, Y, Z now to help you because perhaps bah, 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 bah. that's not happening right now. So people are just, you know, I do it with my own treatment. It's like a dart. I throw it out there and I see, okay, do I feel better? Or I don't. Do you know how many times I've had to change my nighttime meds and my daytime meds because they stopped working. So sorry. Yeah. To get on soapbox. No, no, I, to- I totally get it. And, and then the other line of communication that, seems really necessary there is between the physician and the dispensary so that the physician knows exactly what products their patients are purchasing and can recommend against or for different things. Right. And that's the beauty of the the new software that EM2P2 has, you know, I'm lucky to be an advisor on their board that they have implemented and luckily are pushing across all 33 states because if you're right, Matthew, like when I go to the dispensary, at least I can talk to Donner and say, hey, look, I did this. I tried this, blah, blah, blah. But again, I know to tell him these things. Most patients, they go to the dispensary. The dispensary says, take this, this and that. The patient goes, okay. Most of the time they don't question. They take it and then there's a problem and they don't know what to do. So then they go back to the dispensary and they've now wasted $200 or whatever because we have to pay out of pocket because it's not insurance (laughs) and it doesn't work, you know, and then they get disenchanted because they're like, I've tried five times. It's not working. I'm not going to take it anymore. You know? Yeah. And not everyone's as lucky as you to have a personal friendship relationship with your cannabis medical doctor. So (laughs) that's, that's tricky. It's tricky, but to have that communication over time, instead of just going every year to, to re up your recommendation to be able to have, that open line of communication, just even to be able to send a quick message to be like, Hey doc, I tried this and it didn't yeah. work. And them to be like, take five minutes out of their day or two minutes. Just yes. to, oh, maybe try this instead. Yes. It'd be simple for doctors to be able to do. And yes. It would be or, so or much suggest, helpful. Yeah. Or suggest that we pull a certain, certain blood values from these patients mm. because having the central lab on tap, I can make kits the way I want them. Because think about it, it's like a clinical trial. When you design a protocol, you have your kits based on your protocol, what you're doing. I am following that same process, Matthew, on this. All, that's why I mean, all these years of, of this hard work in the pharma side, it's all 
Like, that's why I can think so quickly and go, ah, I'm going to get a central lab and we're going to pull this, 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 and I'll see everything. So, okay. So I'm looking at the time. I know that you have a hard stop and I want to dive into this DNA testing because that I'm so fascinated by the idea of, of being able to look at genetic markers for your endocannabinoid system. And I guess we have to do a part three, Christina. I mean, I think <laughs> what so. other option do we for have? Sure. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome because I want to talk about that by then we'll probably have some more stuff about what we're doing with COVID. Um, and there's a bunch of other stuff you know. I didn't that even I'm get a cannabot update. Your cute little cannabot. <laughs> I didn't even find out what he's what he's up to. <laughs> well, you know what? We're using him um, for the on uh, his brother bot, Doctor Bot, for the COVID studies. Oh, very cool. So very we're cool. that's what we're going to use to capture the data. So luckily, we have the cannabis side, and then we have the regular side. You know, the traditional side. So Doctor Bot's engaged. <laughs> And then once this cannabis stuff comes back again, when we get out of this mess, then Cannabot will be alive and well again and, you know, doing his thing. <laughs> I, I look forward to the day when we can have a, uh, a happy union between the two and not have to yes. keep them so separate. And they can wave. <laughs> yeah. And hug. <laughs> put, them on, put them on a little cake. Yeah. That'd be cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, people want holograms. They ask right. me, can we get holograms? And I'm like, if we could raise enough money, sure. Yeah, maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, maybe next year. <laughs> Let's get out of this crisis first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So um, I'm always curious to see if maybe your answer will change. But as of right now, what's the one change you want to see in the medical cannabis industry? Oh, right. we, we, we need to validate the science. That's what you said Sorry. last time. And yeah. I figured that was still going to be the same. But yeah. yeah, it's because I keep seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, we got a hard stop. So yes, we'll do this so again. Much, Let's get another interview on the books. This was a shorter one. So maybe if we don't wait too long, we can combine the two together. Yes. We'll, we'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah, you let me know. You know I'm flexible. Yeah, that's wonderful. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. It's I always so much you. fun. Thank you it's so much. It's always so great to see you. I really love being able to have these opportunities to interview Christina. She's just so much fun, such an enjoyable and joyous person. And she is constantly working, constantly taking up new positions and new ideas and researching. And it's it's amazing how much that she has on her plate. And if all of this stuff around COVID wasn't challenging enough for all these other areas in our life, it's also seriously limiting our capacity for doing research on cannabis and this is something that needs to happen we need to keep having the ability to research cannabis and discover more and more about its medical possibilities so let's keep doing what we can and support researchers like christina in their efforts to bring an end to this craziness that we've been dealing with for months and months and months let's find a treatment let's move through this so we can get back to the business of studying cannabis and finding new ways to use this as a medicine so until next time my friends stay healthy and enjoy yourself This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening. <laughs>